Well, we're continuing our study of Romans 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 17. We began this study uh, last week, but we are going to uh, finish it today. I'm going to give you a little recap, so if you missed last week, it's okay. I'll give you the gist of the first two points. So I've given you an outline. If you have that, you'll see there's some quotes. Uh, the first two points we covered in depth last week. We'll, we'll, we'll zip through them again this week just to give you a refresher and to let you know uh, what we were talking about if you missed, but as well, uh, kind of puts it all into context. But now let us turn to God's holy inspired and inerrant word, Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us. Well, when Jesus was coming to the final days of his life, he, in John 17, uh, lifted up what we call the high priestly prayer. He prayed this prayer on behalf of his people, and he said something very interesting. Verse 1, When Jesus had spoken these words... He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And here's the interesting statement. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus has come to give eternal life to his people, and what is eternal life? Eternal life is that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowledge of God. We've been talking about having a relationship with God in this passage, and it speaks to our relationship with God. We have relationships with, with everyone that we know, and some people we know more uh, intimately than others. Well, we can know, for example... Uh, the, the person who is the checkout uh, checker at our grocery store. If we use the same grocery store often, we often see the, the same people there from week to week, and they see what groceries we buy. We have a relationship with them. Maybe we even talk about the weather or some other matters. But it's not a very deep relationship, obviously. But then there's the relationship we might have with our parents or our spouse, that's an entirely different relationship from the cashier at the grocery store. It's a deep relationship. We're intimately acquainted. Now, when we talk about having a relationship with God, that we can know God, what we're going to see from this passage is that that relationship can be of the most intimate nature and should be of the most intimate nature. As we see here, it's a, it's a father-son relationship. It's a, it's a child-to-a-father relationship that we have and all the benefits that come with that. Well, C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, what Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, 
invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. To know God, to, to have a relationship with God, well, there's no greater relationship to foster than runs one's relationship with God. Now, last week we began examining what this passage says about a believer's relationship with God. And the goal that I have for all of us is to examine our relationship with God. Do you and I relate to God as Paul describes here in these verses before us? And last week we looked at the first two points. Now, first, we saw that the child of God enjoys advocacy by the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now back in, well, back in verse 9, Paul has made the point that the Spirit of God indwells believers. He says in verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If you belong to Christ, then the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. And the Spirit is doing something in you and with you. The Spirit is leading you away from sin and towards holiness. Look at uh, the word leading there. Uh, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now when we think about leading, we often think about the Spirit leading us in what job we should take or what person should we marry. Big decisions of life. But that's not what the, uh, what the word led here is referring to. The leading that is des described here is the leading that is mentioned in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That for in verse 14 ties it to verse 13. So the leading that we're talking about here by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us is leading us to put to death the deeds of the body, to put to death the flesh, to, to, to get away from sin and walk in a path of holiness. That's where the Spirit is leading us. That's why Jesus died, to, to make us holy so that we could have a relationship with him. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us to help make that happen. He is our advocate. The Spirit leads away from sin and towards holiness. Now sometimes, as the Bible says that, that uh, we can do, we can quench the Spirit. You know, you might quench a fire by throwing some water on it, you put it out, uh, or you can 
you know, tamp it down, you know, rob it of oxygen so it can't you put a cover on it and make the flame go away. Well, the same can be done with the Spirit, apparently. You can quench the Spirit. Paul warns, don't quench the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. You can also grieve the Spirit. You can do things that the Spirit uh, is leading you not to do. You can, we do those things. That's what Paul's talking about back in Romans 7. He's wrestling with the sin nature. He's, he's having a hard time uh, doing the things that God has called him to do. And he's often doing the things that he doesn't want to do, that God is not pleased with. But the Spirit is pointing us in the way of holiness, in the way of Christ. Do we have the Spirit? If you do not see a trend in your life of growing in holiness, not to say, yes, sometimes we quench the Spirit, sometimes we grieve the Spirit, sometimes we wrestle and really have a hard time with sin, but do we hate that sin? Not just the consequences of the sin, but do we hate the sin? Do we feel like Paul? I don't want to do these things. I don't like these things that I, my flesh drives me to, to engage in. If we're wrestling with it, that's a good sign. But if we're going about in our lives without any thought to holiness at all, any, any desire to grow in grace, any desire to be more holy, then we, we need to check ourselves, examine ourselves. Do we have the Spirit? Because the Spirit should be working in us, causing us to grieve over our sins, causing us to want to, to increase in holiness. It's what, what Jesus promised when he told the disciples about the Holy Spirit in John 14. In John 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. See, this is the same kind of language that Paul is using, Jesus used. Paul got it from Jesus. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The Spirit is there. The Spirit is going to point you to the fact that you are a child of God. You should bear the family resemblance. Jesus goes on and says in John 16, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit is telling us what Christ wants for us. Which way should we go? What is really true and real in life? So the Spirit is the Christian's advocate. That's the first thing we see. He is the helper who dwells within and guides into the truth. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Remember, sons of God, in those days, um, we're going to get to this point at the end, he uses the term sons of God, and that was quite revolutionary. We might look at it in our day and time and go, well, that's, that's kind of sexist that he doesn't say children of God or daughters of God. Well, daughters didn't get an inheritance. Daughters didn't have the same rights as sons. Paul was being very revolution, saying it doesn't matter if you're male or female, everyone has the same status as a son of God, an inheritance, which we'll talk about in a moment. Secondly, we saw that the child of God enjoys security by the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. This spirit of adoption that is mentioned here, that Paul speaks of, is an ability that the Holy Spirit gives us 
to approach God as a father instead of as a boss or as a slave master. Naturally, that's how we relate to God. We think that we are accepted by God on a performance to standards basis. We've got to live up to a certain standard so that God will accept us. We hope that our goods outweigh our bad so that God will accept us into heaven. Well, that's not the spirit of adoption that Paul's talking about. That leads us to fear because we're constantly in fear because we can't measure up. We're never going to measure up. And that's going to leave us in bondage to fear. But the Holy Spirit living in us, driving us towards holiness, helps us to understand that we are indeed children of God. And the Holy Spirit wipes away that whole stance. We understand that it's not by our merit, it's by grace that we're saved. It's by the work that Jesus has done on our behalf, fulfilling all the righteousness that we need dying for our sins, paying the penalty for all the wrongs that we have done. The Holy Spirit gives us this deep spiritual and psychological security in the Lord. A sense that we can approach God now on a family basis as His beloved children. Uh, my children aren't here, so I can talk about them a little bit, but you know they're not perfect, uh, but they, they're always welcome. Uh, some of them can be quite rebellious sometimes. And Sarah and I will say, you know, to them, look, you're doing wrong. We, don't, we, we have not raised you to do, do these sorts of things, but we will always love you. We will always love you, and you're always welcomed by us. It's the kind of relationship that we have with the Lord. Yes, we quench the Spirit, we grieve the Spirit, we wrestle with sin, we fall into sin, but as John says in 1 John 3, 1, Behold what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The Father welcomes us in. We come to him humbly, yes. Repentant, yes. But he's always there to welcome us. How do you relate to God? Are you living in a slavish fear of God? Does that, does that mark your relationship with the Lord? Are you constantly living, oh, I'm not, just not measuring up? Or do you understand that Yes, you're a sinner, you need to repent, but God is a forgiving God, a, a loving and merciful God that will receive you. Now let's look at those final two points from this passage. Thirdly, the child of God enjoys intimacy by the Holy Spirit. It says here, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And that word Abba there is a, an Aramaism. Uh, the Aramaic language was widely in use uh, in, in those days. And uh, Abba is best translated as daddy, um, a, a term of great intimacy. You don't, most people don't, uh, talk to their fathers going, Oh, father, <laughs> you know, hey, father, can you give me some money? Father, you know, we say dad, uh, pop, papa. That's the word that's used here. It's an intimate term. Uh, it's a term of endearment. You think of the word Abraham. Abraham means father of many nations. Av, Avraham. That's where that word comes from. Av means father. Ava is daddy. So a very intimate term. 
Now, there's a debate on whether 15b, this, this phrase, uh, you have received the adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, goes with 15a, the first part of verse 15, or does it go with 16? Well, if you look at it, verse 15 says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, etc. So you can see how that is true. They, they go together. You haven't received the spirit of fear, you've received the spirit of adoption. And we can cry, Abba, Father. But it also is intimately connected to verse 16, that phrase. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We can cry, Abba, Father, because the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now that word, witness, there, is actually the word that, from which we get our word martyr. It means to testify. It's a legal term. Uh, a martyr is someone who gives a testimony. They are saying, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, and they testify to the world, and someone kills them because of their testimony of Christ. Well, here the word means uh, an authoritative witness which solves a difficult case and puts the solution to it beyond doubt. So picture a courtroom. There's a person, the defendant. He's being accused of something wrong, and there's some evidence that seems to indicate that maybe he's innocent, and then there's some evidence that would uh, maybe shed some guilt upon this, this poor defendant. But then a witness appears and puts the thing out of doubt. This person is beyond guilt. This witness testifies and says, the person was with me, uh, the, the circumstances that uh, would, would point to his guilt are uh, completely thrown aside, and the witness saves the day for the defendant. That's the witness. That's the word that's being used here. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Our, we can examine ourselves, and in our spirit we can know through examination and thinking about it. We can believe, yes, I have put my faith in Christ, and I have reason to believe that I am a child of God. But then the Spirit comes along and puts it without doubt. The Spirit witnesses. He brings that testimony to with our spirits that we are indeed children of God. See, the Spirit not only dwells in us and leads the Christian into holiness, but also gives assurance to the Christian that he or she is a child of God. Do you have that assurance today? Do you know through your own examination and through the testimony of the Holy Spirit that you are indeed a child of God? Jesus died so that we could know God it's eternal life to know you, God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. He died so we could know God, and he gives the Holy Spirit to his children to assure them of that. Now finally, a child of God enjoys the legacy by the Holy Spirit. If we're children, verse 17 says, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now this speaks to our status full rights of sons of God, as I mentioned before. We have an inheritance, uh, a future. It's talking of eternity. Uh, we have a sure hope for forever. 
because we are children of God. Now, it certainly means it's pointing us to the future uh, of the new heavens and new earth and being with God forever, but that inheritance uh, is probably deeper than that. What it really is summed up in is what Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 3, to know God, to have God, to have a relationship with God. That's the inheritance. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That word portion is uh, an inheritance. When the land was conquered by the Israelites and and was divided between the tribes and and everyone received their allotment, their inheritance, uh, the land that would be theirs forever in, in perpetuity, Uh, they often refer to it with this word. This is my portion. This land here is my portion. It's my inheritance. It's what God has given me. God gives us himself. He is our portion forever. Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This takes us back to, like I said, what John said in John 17, 3. It's eternal life to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And the C.S. Lewis quote, God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. He is our portion. He is what we really are looking for in our lives, to have a relationship with him. And if we have Christ, then we have that. We have that legacy forever. It's our inheritance. And we're joint heirs with Christ. It means that the children of God enter in jointly with Christ into possession of the inheritance which he has bestowed upon them. This is the aspect from which union and communion with Christ are to be viewed in the state of glory. You think about that. When we talk about the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Christ, we can't think about that apart from those for whom he suffered. He didn't just suffer and die and be raised from the dead in a vacuum just because he could do it. He did it for his people. He did it for for his people united to him by faith. And Jesus himself said that he would receive that glory in that high priestly prayer. Glorify me with the glory that we had together before the earth was created. We will share in that. Just as we as believers share in the death and resurrection of Christ, we will share in his glory forever. We are joint heirs with Christ. We will be there face to face with God and we will be with him forever. Now he goes on. There's a condition here. We will, be, uh, we will be with him, certainly. We will be uh, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now that's suffering. We could spend a lot of time on that, but I'll just say this briefly. If we suffer with him, 
is the condition upon which the attainment of the inheritance is contingent. There's no sharing in Christ's glory unless there is sharing in his sufferings. Sufferings and then glory was the order appointed for Christ. And it's the order for us as well. That's why Jesus said we would follow him, we must take up our cross daily and follow him. And that's what Paul's talking about in Philippians chapter 3 when he shares his own testimony. You know, he talks about we shouldn't put confidence in the flesh. We shouldn't put confidence in our own works. And, he's, and then he brags about himself. He says, you know, I, I had every reason to put confidence in my own flesh, in my own works. For we are the circumcision, he says, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. That means he's the very best Hebrew there was. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Christ died so that we could know him and walk with him, and he has given us his spirit to walk with us through this life, and the, the journey that he's leading us on is fraught with peril and sometimes suffering but he will be with us and he will carry us to glory where we will see him face to face. And there will be no more struggle at that point because even sin itself, there will be no presence of sin in our lives. Do you know this? Do you know that hope of eternal life? Do you, do you have that uh, inner understanding, inner confirmation that you are a child of God? Do you enjoy intimacy with the Lord? Our sins can keep us from that. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray that each one of us would cry out to the Lord to save us, to draw us closer into that relationship, to help us keep in step with the Spirit that's leading us down the path of truth. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray these things. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, help us to walk in the Spirit, to listen to the Spirit, to not give any provision for the flesh, but make provision for the Spirit. Lord, forgive us for when we have failed to do so, when we have grieved and quenched the Spirit. Lord, I pray that everyone here today would know the assurance that the Spirit gives, that they are indeed children of God, and, and know the hope of having a legacy, an inheritance, the portion that is you, Lord. May our spirits be
fueled by you, may our lives be strengthened by you. May we know the joy of salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.